Hello and welcome to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards, who's not long back from a trip to Holland, where you uh, apparently made an exciting discovery, didn't you? That's an interesting way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, of sorts. Ex- exciting if you have a certain mindset. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you uh, all uh, know me well enough by now to know that, um, I, you know, I'm a simple man. And I'm easily amused and intrigued. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? Yes. You know, but by kind of I don't know, uh, absurd trivia, you know, arcane detail, especially where it relates to wine and, and all things, you know, food and comestible. And, and there was just there was just one thing in Holland that really got me. No, can we just at this point we should hmm. probably mention that you weren't in Holland just on a jolly sort of casually right. searching for <laughs> trivia um, you were yeah. actually there for a serious reason um, which was to do yeah. some filming and you and the crew did all get tested didn't you for, for Covid yeah we did yeah. as it's, soon as you got it's, it's, it's all very civilised everything's very civilised in Holland isn't it you know, I think I think as a country, it's it's highly civilized. Very well, but, um, no, I think we yeah. should all know it better. Yeah, well, it, sounds, um, it sounds like fun. Oh, it's amazing, and, and and the people are brilliant. You know, in any country that can invent a drink like gin, you know, it's, good, it's got to be good by me. Fair enough. You know, yeah. did you know they've got more bikes there than people? Um, Is that a bit pointless? Well, no. You know, maybe you want two bikes. Why would you want? Maybe two you want bikes? to ride sort of astride two bikes. Maybe that's that's the ultimate and cool. I don't know. Maybe they can Who ride knows? two bikes at the same time. <laughs> Maybe they're semivolt. Like, exactly, genius. that's what they can do. And apparently, they, you know, they pioneered orange carrots. Apparently, carrots before that were all sorts of colours, and then they went for the orange Ooh. ones. That's where why we get orange carrots. Oh, and 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 you do associate obviously the the Dutch with hot with orange. You don't do. You? Yeah. Don't you? yeah. Um, apparently, they eat more licorice than any other nation. Ooh. That one I struggle to understand. No, I, I can't get into that. Yeah, 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 not really yeah. a fan of licorice. But and they are obviously massive beer beer producers, and I think. I think they're about the second largest beer exporter in the world. So they do they do a lot with food and drink. They do. They mm, do. Mm, I mean, there are many more arcane facts I could go on. Don't, don't, don't. Not no? now. I think that's enough. We've we've had enough. Okay. Thank you. Right. Okay, Thank fine, you. Fine. Fascinating. It's probably not the not, not, not the time and the place for the facts about souvenir clothes no, either. So, no, so, so no. I'll just go. Thank you. So um yeah, so what I wanted to share was this slightly rude Dutch expression, um, which the film crew kindly introduced me to. Uh, film crews are brilliant. You learn so much. You do, and I can. Frankly, yes, I think people I shouldn't go to school. They should that. go on. A, they should go on a year-long filming <laughs> film set, and you'd learn everything you need to learn about life. I think right there. Um, oh, they've got plenty of time to think. You see, <laughs> and they're, they're generally they love, brilliant they love, people they as do. well. They do. They really think about things. They do. Yeah, yeah, they do. They analyse your performance them far thinking. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I think this expression is brilliant. Um, not just because it's rude, because you know, because it's a very Dutch way of saying delicious. You know, oh. and and for for me, I'm always on the lookout for uh, ways to expand my wine vocabulary. Okay, so but also, on, but also on. the localisms, the ones that express the kind of nature of the people as yeah, well. Yeah, as what yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. All right, what fine, is sorry, it? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, so I managed to record the lovely Monfred uh, saying this expression. Monfred, who was Monfred? Monfred is is just the guru. Oh, absolute guru. And um, I recorded him saying this particular Dutch expression, which means delicious. Also, an engeltje op je tong piet. I'm not sure I really want to know what that means, do I? Really? <laughs> you, do, you do get a sense of it. Even not speaking a word of Dutch, mm, you definitely think, get a sense of it, don't mm, you? Yeah, hence, hence the enough. bleep. I think we, 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 we did think about that bleep. Uh, but I, I, on balance, I put in, I didn't really want to violate any obscenity laws and I don't really know what it means, but there's definitely that one word. Anyway, so yeah, essentially, if you taste something delicious, you, you, you say that and it translates roughly, as far as I understand, unless Monfred's playing a trick on me, but it translates roughly as... It's like an angel peeing on your tongue. Except it's not peeing, is it? <laughs> it's not peeing. Surely. 
It, it, it's a word that's um, it's, you know, it's bleepable. It's it's bleepable. It means something very similar. But you know, you get the general gist of the um, image, the idea, the, the idea, the idea. And and I like the fact it's slightly sacrilegious because mm-hmm. um, I think that's quite Dutch. But it's also brilliantly expressive and funny, and that's quite Dutch too. It is. It is. But I think. Probably time to get on with the show now. Yeah, we've reached that point again. We have, we? we have. Okay, indeed. fine, fine, fine. So, 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 and equally now I'm thinking about it in retrospect, probably not the best idea to introduce a show when we're talking about how to serve wine properly with a special like <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we do move on well and we're going to plough on. So uh, later in the show, we are going to be picking up on our quirky wine A to Z, aren't we? Which we last did in episode two all that time Quite ago. Quite a long time ago. Quite a long time ago. What? But we did put it on hold uh, during all our lockdown special editions. Um, so now we're back with it and we're on to C for Chardonnay. Oh, fantastic. Uh, happy, yum, yum, yum. Happy, happy, happy days. days. Uh, but first, we wanted to look at, you know, how we're serving wine because we're asked about this a lot and, and it's important stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it may... Fair enough to some people seem a bit of stuff and nonsense, but mm. but serving wine properly can make a massive difference to how much you enjoy it. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're spending decent money on a bottle, why waste it by serving it badly? Um, I think the the analogy we would use and often do use mm. is that not serving wine properly is like buying a, a full color HD internet ready um big as your wall TV and then choosing to watch it in black and white on a 6 inch 6, six inch square screen you have in trouble with that I can't say it can six, I 6, six, six inch. Inch. in trouble with 6 inches it's too small too small <laughs> can't fit it in so the little things can make a big difference i think <laughs> no, no, i don't know. sorry, sorry you've you lost it now haven't yeah. you oh dear you lost me for a shot anyway while. I will carry it's all on. all these images swirling around in my mind. I will carry on. So the little things make a big difference is what I was trying to say. And, I hope uh, so. And to be honest, it's relatively easy to get it right. Mm. It, it, is, it can be relatively easy to get this right. Wine. It's wine. Not, not easy to wine get service. six inch right. But Shush. Service. Wine service. It is, it, it is important and can be easy to get right. It's not super complicated. Yeah. So, so and, and effectively, you can actually make a wine taste better. Can't you almost? And yep. that's free money. You can. So I'm not saying, you know, not necessarily that you'll like it more. It's just that the wine, you know, gets to be its best self just by following a few basic guidelines. So um, one of those guidelines is our infamous 2020 rule, which we'll, we'll come on to uh, later on. But um, to start with, I wanted to get some uh, expert view on this. So I talked to Laura Reese, uh, who's a master sommelier. Now, it doesn't get more expert on service than that. Um, she's also global ambassador for Gusborne, uh, the English wine estate. And I I started off by asking her how I'd best go about serving a nice bottle of red Bordeaux. I would really consider temperature, glassware to an extent, and decanting as well. Okay, so let's go through each of those in turn. Temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, surely, you know, I think a lot of people think with reds, warm is good. Yeah, so I, um, one of my uh, most endearing memories of my father, uh, who's a wonderful man, we grew up in a household where we didn't um, buy expensive wine. It was very much kind of supermarket wines that, that were on our table on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but one of my favourite memories of Dad was um, he would always open a bottle of wine, put it on the hearth by the fire for half an hour before dinner. This is before I could drink the wine, but I always remember that. And, uh, and then I started drinking wine and realised that that was probably not the way I wanted to drink my red wine. Some people do. Was um, your house cold, just out of interest? I mean, no, was it a cold okay. house? So it was a warm um, house. It was a, well, 
And your dad would put it by the by the yeah. by the fire. Yeah. So okay. It was a good twenty. I was just saying it wasn't a kind degrees. of absolutely freezing household. Therefore, you didn't. <laughs> okay. No, it wasn't a grand Your childhood was relatively exactly. warm. I'm glad <laughs> we've ascertained that. <laughs> it was. Um, everybody likes wine at a different temperature. Mm, that's interesting. So it might vary from person to person. Of course, and from wine to wine. I know some people who love ice cold sparkling wines. Ice cold white wines, other people who like to have them at different temperatures. And we could be very geeky and say that different grapes should be at different temperatures, but ultimately it's about what people enjoy. In terms of uh, Bordeaux, let's go back to, to our gorgeous bottle of Bordeaux that mm. we're going to open. Mm. Um, people often talk about cellar temperature. And for those of us in the world who are lucky enough to have a cellar, we understand what that means. Um, I'm not lucky enough. Neither am I. But by that, we would mean what, sort of 12 degrees around 12 degrees centigrade? Something like that. Yeah. And if you, I think the general consensus is if you brought it out of the cellar and then probably put it by the fire, <laughs> for half an hour it would be about right. Um, I think 16 to 18 degrees if you want to be pedantic and get a For a really around. nice red wine. Yes. So, not, not, most of us don't have a, th- a thermometer for this kind of thing. So, no. what would you, for those of us who haven't had them in a cellar, what would your advice be to getting the temperature for a really good red wine right? Well... Should we stick it in the fridge for a bit? I've been known to stick it in the fridge for a bit. I've been known to stick it in the fridge the night before, perhaps, or earlier in the day. Um, And actually, this works as well if you've had a bottle of red wine and you've only drunk half of it Mm. one night. Stick it in the fridge. It lasts a little bit better. And then pull it out. And I often pull it out whilst I'm cooking. So as I start cooking, I'll take it out of the fridge, um, probably with a bottle of white wine, which I open to have a glass of whilst cooking, but don't tell anyone. Um, and, uh, and then by the time I've finished cooking, then it's generally at the It's right about the right temperature. temperature. And that's a yeah. great tip as well for keeping wine. You know, stick your red wine in the fridge once it's been opened, because that will yeah. slow down the rate of oxidation. And actually, it's a really good, good tip. Okay, fantastic. So we've got the reds. Now, what about whites and really fine whites and sparklings? You know, yeah. Do you think we serve those too cold? Again, I think it's about what people enjoy. Mm. Me, personally, I, again, take it out of the fridge maybe 10, 15 minutes before I was going to... Mm. So you're not serving it super cold straight no. out of the fridge? No, exactly. And I've never been a huge fan of ice buckets for the same reason. But, mm. but then equally, sometimes, you know, on a warm day... Mm, um, yeah. If you're sat out in the garden and you have a lovely bottle of rosé from Provence or you've got a really nice Sancerre or something, then actually the ice bucket is exactly what you need. So I like the way you're not you're not dictatorial about this. You're kind of easy come, easy go. You know, you don't have to follow certain rules. No. But I think your idea of, of just sticking wines in the fridge, sticking reds in the fridge, taking wines out whites out of the fridge for a little bit is yeah. a really really good one. I think ultimately it's about understanding what temperature does to a wine. So, you know, how it affects the acidity, uh, the perception of acidity. Um, does, it, does it make you perceive acidity more, do you think? Having, having the wine cold, colder? Uh, I think that having the wine colder will um, often dull a lot of things. So, you know, the perception of acidity, um, the perception of tannin in red wines, the perception of alcohol in all wines, um, and also, most importantly, fruit profiles as well. That's why if you have um, a Chardonnay from Burgundy, actually it benefits from having a slightly warmer um, serving temperature Mm. because you do tend to get a little bit more uh, wine out of your glass. 
That's really interesting. So you get in the right temperature, you get more wine out of your glass. And with some of these wines, when you spend a lot of money on them, you want to get as much wine out of your glass as possible. And, and since we're on the subject, glasses. Yes. You mentioned glasses as being really, really important. Are you the kind of person who has a million and one different glasses, each for the, exactly the right wine and moment that you can, that you can call upon? No. For the same reason that we don't have a wine cellar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, we don't. Our house is very low-key. Mm. We'll have a classic kind of red Bordeaux style glass. Just looks quite big. Quite big, yeah, yeah quite big, quite high sides. Uh, we've got a classic kind of medium-sized burgundy glass, which has a wider bowl and slightly shorter um, sides. Um, we've got some wider sparkling wine glasses, which we can sometimes use for for Riesling if we want to as well yes. we can do that no we don't have and also I don't know I think in certain instances those glasses are amazing and it's wonderful to have these cupboards full mm. of different mm. glasses mm. for all the mm. um, all the right wines and the right occasions but for us like practicality really has to come into things and, and we don't have masses of space and, yeah. and also I break glasses so, do you? Um, is that is that? I feel like that's a bit of a confession that yeah. you've been wanting to get off your chest. Yeah. I am Laura Reese, and I break glasses. Is that, <laughs> you are a breaker of I glasses, have, I Laura. I've been known to break glasses. <laughs> yes. Um, I think yes. we all do. To be fair, <laughs> especially these ones that are super fine and really delicate, and they're wonderful things, but they're terrifying as well. Um, and we and, and we do break glass. Of course, of course, you do. Uh, I always have one great rule, which I've always tried to abide by, is, is was never wash your glasses up the same night you've used them. Um, yes. And I do love that one because yes. that has actually reduced the incidence of breakages in our household considerably. Uh, it also means I get out of the washing up quite a lot too, so so it's a win-win. But glassware, so don't you don't have to worry too much about glassware. Maybe we need some glasses, but just not crazy amount. We shouldn't worry too much about getting loads and loads. No, and I think actually, as you say, it's more about perhaps the quality of the glassware. Mm. So, um, so get just some nice quality glasses. I think so. Not crazy amounts of. Yeah. No, and I think you can you can do very well with one, two, three, maybe four different shapes if mm. you wanted to. Mm. Um, but equally, yes, if you had good quality glassware and you said the rim, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and as long as the bowl of the glass mm. is large enough that. You know, you can put some wine in the bottom, but there's enough And still swirl it, yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think sometimes that's more important. Because mm. stains can be an issue on clothing. You know, having enough room to, to properly swirl that wine. <laughs> yeah, we, we've all been there, haven't we? Um, and also you mentioned decanting. I'm intrigued yes. because I don't, I, we don't decant very much at all these days. Mm. Do, do you? Uh, so when I was working in a restaurant, um, I used to decant a lot. Um, and for a couple of different reasons. So either it was because it was an older bottle and it had sediment in it. Um, sometimes it had it had come straight from the cellar, and and I wanted to maybe just open the wine up a little, give it some air straight away, and also change the temperature. So as you decanter wine, you're you're moving it into into a separate vessel, which ultimately changes its temperature quicker. Um, uh, or also sometimes a white wine might have wanted a little bit more time mm. 
to, to get a bit more air. And <clears throat> obviously when you're in a restaurant setting, you don't have the luxury of having half an hour whilst you're cooking or yes. you know, whilst you're chatting uh, to prepare these wines. Sometimes actually it needs to be done a little bit quicker. So for, for, for me in a restaurant setting, a decanter was always something which was, was very helpful. It also looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. The sense of occasion, there's a lovely theatre to all of that as well, which, exactly. which is, I think, important as well. Absolutely. In my own house, I decant wine less, yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> we do still decant. Yeah, I do. Um, okay, good. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah we've, got, we've got a couple of different decanters. Um, uh, and for particular bottles, sometimes we'll decant it. And again, if it's something really old, we'll decant it. Um, or, again, if we just want to quickly give it some air and open it up a little bit, then we will. But ultimately, no. <laughs> Life's too short. <laughs> and finally, any, are there any wine gadgets out there that are really taking your eye, taking your interest of late? I think as, as, as a trade, we're generally quite allergic to gadgets, aren't we? We, 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 we like old school. Yeah. Um, but have any, have any, is there any, has anything come along that that's you thought, ooh, that's an interesting way to serve wine or could help? Hmm. Um, I am a bit of a technophobe and a gadget phobe, generally speaking. Um, and as you say, yes, it's always quite uh, <laughs> quite easier to be uh, old-fashioned in, hmm. in the wine industry. But um, I have to say that having been a little bit sceptical of it beforehand, I now really, really like the Coravan. I don't... <sighs> I didn't enjoy working with it in a restaurant situation because I found it quite difficult, I think, in terms of the serving perspective. Mm. But the great thing about having a Coravan is that it allows you to access a glass of wine at a time. And um, having just gone through a pregnancy... (laughs) (laughs) On which congratulations, of course. Um, You're finding Um, that is just the ability to take a glass out. Yeah, exactly. It's a really good thing. Yeah, and, you know, Francis and I at home can decide, oh, you know, we want to have one glass of this tonight, but actually we don't want to open the bottle because invariably when we open a bottle, we finish a bottle. Um, So sometimes it allows us to be a little bit more measured and to say, do you know what, I'm going to have a gorgeous glass of, I don't know, Chassin Marache tonight with my fish pie, but I only want to have a glass, that's great. Having said that, it is expensive Mm. um, and it's a bit of a, um, a luxury, I think, but... I'm very glad that we now have one in the house. So Laura breaks glasses too. Hurrah! Yeah, that makes yeah. me feel better. Um, I just thought I was <laughs> I was particularly clumsy. Yeah, if even Laura breaks a glass now and again, I think the rest of us, you know, we can. It makes me we feel can sleep okay. Easy, can't it we? makes me feel okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and it's good to hear that she also sticks red wines in the fridge. I yep. think we have a lot in common. I think we do. Yeah. And I do like the idea of Chassagne Marchais. Mm. <gasps> With oh, fish pie. That was that was a high mm. point, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a thought! I mean, lots of good stuff there. I mean, we could talk about it for ages, couldn't we? But what I what I loved about Laura, what I love about Laura, is the way she's such a calm person. She is, she? isn't she? And, yes, and she when you is. think about it, it, comes through in her voice, and that's how yeah. she is as a person as yeah, well. Totally. And I, I think if we take that as a, as a model, you know, I think it's a really good lesson for all of us when it comes to wine to to adopt a sort of non-stressy sort of zen-like approach when it comes to wine let's all be calm let's all be a bit more Laura when it comes to drinking wine things will be calm everything will be all right absolutely and actually that leads quite neatly on (laughs) 
fortunately, <laughs> to our next interviewee, Robin mm. Hudson, who mm. is another beacon of yeah. easygoing positivity in our world. He's one of Britain's foremost hoteliers and chairman and CEO of the Pig Hotels and Limewood Group. Um, we wanted to get his take as somebody who's not a he's not a fully fledged wine geek, no. if you like, mm. but he does like and know his wine, mm. and he mm. obviously has a lot of influence on how wine is served in his hotels and restaurants. He was just heading off fishing when mm. I spoke to him, but I started by asking him where he stands on decanting. Well, I think certain certain wines benefit from decanting. I mean, if, you know, a, a robust wine that is still fairly young, and let's face it, in many, many restaurants, uh, you know, the wines uh, inevitably are are young, can often can often uh, benefit from uh, decanting. And then, of course, if, if, a, if a wine is... is has been hanging around for quite a long time and has got a lot of sediment, then it's a very practical way of separating that rather than mixing it all up, you know, with, with multiple pours. So, But you very much leave that to the, the discretion of your, your wine service guys, your sommeliers. Absolutely. So, I mean, we don't have a tremendous number of really old wines. So the, the sediment argument is is less than perhaps it could be with, with you know, with a, a really classic wine list of old vintages. But it's still relevant. And I think it's really nice for the sommelier to say, uh, you know, do you mind if I decant this? Because uh, from previous experience, it, it throws off quite a lot of sediment. You know, I think that's a perfectly reasonable. And in terms of glasses, um, I, I seem to recall, I might have got this wrong, that the, the pigs tend to be more kind of tumbler style, more rustic approach to glassware. What do you like to uh, see? We have we have uh, proper proper stemmed uh, uh, glassware in the restaurants. Um we tend to outside. We tend to to go tumbler style, as it were. Um, so that that's certainly the case. And we also have, you know, if somebody orders a really high end wine, we have uh, some high end glasses to go with it. You know, so, so um, you know, you, if if you're spending a few hundred pounds um, on a bottle of wine, it's it's quite nice to drink it from a Zalco. Is, are you a Zalto man? Yeah, I like all all good glassware, but but you know, personally, um, I was given a set some time some years ago, and I love it. Um, and in terms of temperature, where you know, what what do you feel about? Does it matter? Um, are you very particular about it? Are your staff? I tend to err on the side of being cooler for both red and white, actually. And I know, uh, you know, I've had I've had this discussion with so many wine people over the years about, uh, in particular, about white wine because aficionados will tell you that it shouldn't be too cold. But frankly, I like a glass of cold white wine. And uh, unless I'm drinking something really, really uh, unusually high end, then um, I, I would probably err on a cooler glass of wine than a warmer glass of, of white wine. I cannot stand warm champagne in any or sparkling wine in any way, shape or form. And the staff get a, a regular telling off for... Uh, over pre-pouring for parties because I it drives me nuts when you know I want to be handed a glass of uh, of sparkling wine that's frosting on the outside and looks fresh. We, we've all fallen we've all fallen victim to the uh, the the party pre-pour, haven't we? That's just dreadful. And then actually party pour in general because they don't taste the wine either and then they infect 20 glasses with a corked bottle but that's another story. What's your policy on cork corkage then if 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 a customer says the wine's corked um do you just without a question change it? Absolutely. 
no, no, I mean, it's customers are not always right uh, because, as you well know, there are degrees of mustiness and other bad effects on bottles. Uh, it's not always uh, a corked wine, and sometimes that odor will pass just by by being in the glass as you know but if they if they don't like it for any reason then we just whip it away you know i mean i, I we have a few fancy bottles and i think we now say that if you open a a, a very old expensive bottle that it's um, it's at your own risk because you know i think that's 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 fair enough that's a kind of chance you you take interestingly on on I'm drinking red wines cooler and cooler. I think in the restaurant setting as well, you know, you want you know it's going to warm up on the table, so you kind of need it to be opened um, and and a little bit cool to start off with. And I love uh, I love chilled, um, uh, you know, certain certain reds chilled in in the summer. In fact, I've just packed my uh, my uh, fishing bag uh, just now and. I was talking just a little earlier about the um, uh, the red Pinot Meunier uh, from Hush Heath called the Red Miller, I think it's called. Anyway, I've chilled it slightly and I thought that would be a perfect lunchtime wine for the, for the riverbank. Sounds delightful. Finally, do you have any top tips that you would give people on how to serve wine? You do have to judge who, who you're serving the wine to. So if, if one day you and I are sharing a glass of wine, I, I would be thinking in a different way to... Uh, having a glass of wine with uh, another mate who, you know, liked a glass of wine but wasn't particularly interested. So, are you saying I'm fussy, bro? I'm like to be fussy, Robin. <laughs> You're interested, so I'd, I'd be searching hard for the interesting bottle to, to <laughs> pull out, and we'd spend some time talking about it. Whereas for other mates of mine, I've got more mates that aren't interested in wine than are interested in wine. And in, they would think I'm being a pretentious bore by banging on about uh, banging on about someone. And you, the same must happen for you as well. So I, I do think, you know, I think wine's there to be enjoyed. There's no point in analysing the bloody thing to death if people aren't interested. But there again, if people are interested, it's, it's great to, 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 to share the stories and the thoughts. And There's a dinner in the making. It, exactly, exactly. Brilliant. Thanks, Robin. All right, thanks. Chilled Pinot Meunier by the riverside. <laughs> that's, a, that's a magical thought, isn't it? Yeah, good on you, Robin. Um, I, I also love the attention that Robin gives to uh, who he's serving the wine to. This is, I think this is really, really important. We don't talk about that often enough, do we? And actually, it's probably one of the key things to think about, isn't it? The person, the people, who you're eating with, what they will like. I, I'm, I'm smiling social. here. Well, I'm okay, smiling. Well, I, well, you, you are smiling, smiling in a slightly worrying because, way. Because do, you, do you remember? Um, I'm not sure that you actually considered that when we were on our our first date, and you ordered the wine without even mm. thinking about asking me what I'd like to drink. Can you remember? Elistano, yeah. Kings yeah. Road, yeah, two thousand and three. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of, I was slightly hoping that might have been forgiven and forgotten by now. Oh, I don't know. Uh, thank, you, thank you for sharing that. That's really, really nice. I um, everyone should know these things. It's a fair cop. Uh, I can't, I can't deny it. Uh, what I do is constantly is claim nervousness rather than, you know, crass insensitivity. Shaking your boots because I'm so scary. Well, you know, you know, I was, I was keen. I was a keen. <laughs> I was, I, <laughs> I'll stop there. Um, you know, anyway, moving on. Fair enough. Moving on. I managed to rescue it somehow, didn't I? Um, but thinking about people is important, isn't it? He died. It Robin is, you're makes right, a yeah. good point there. Yeah. But interestingly, you know, he also said he likes his whites and fizz really, really well chilled. 
Um, and I don't think we're going to agree with him. We're probably one. not. No, yeah. no. So we we do have a rule, don't we? We uh, we're sort like, of helpful guidelines. Yeah. Well, well it, rules, yeah. It's not, not about a rule, rules. Rule, but, tips. It, but it's it's helpful. It's, yeah. It's 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 quite a good good mm. way of of um, deciding how what temperature to serve your wine yeah. at or how to yeah get yeah. your wine at the right temperature. So to keep things simple, we call it our twenty twenty rule. Um, but it's nothing to do with with cricket. Shame. Or eye tests. It's about temperature. Um, generally speaking, we do all tend to serve our whites too cold and our reds a bit too warm. So good whites, they should be served between 6 and 12 degrees C. And that's around 43 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm, but of course, our fridges where we keep our white wines usually are about 4 degrees. Mm. Equally, if you think about reds, reds should be served between about 10 and 18 degrees C, and mm-hmm. that's 50 to 65 Fahrenheit. But our room thermostats, they're often set, well, you are certainly is to about 2021. 20, mm. And in the summer, your room can get even hotter than that, can't yeah, it? Yeah. So, so with the 2020 rule, we suggest you take your whites out of the fridge for 20 minutes before serving, and you put your reds into the fridge for 20 minutes before serving. You know, it's not perfect. But it just helps. And, and, you know, we have been geeky with thermometers, but this mm. is just a helpful guideline. Really. I mean, it does depend, obviously, on how you like your wine to taste. Mm. So you can adjust those yeah, times to So Robin to, can have his a bit, a bit cooler. He can, he can. And, but it just means you don't need that thermometer and faffing around. You know, mm. literally, you just decide the timings for in and out of the fridge. Yeah. Um, but I think temperature really is so important. Possibly one of the most important things when it comes to wine. It can make such a difference to how the wine tastes. So yeah. I think it's yeah. worth, it is worth just a little bit of time and effort to get it right especially those reds serving them just a little bit cooler than than because otherwise they taste soupy and hot and jammy and it's just it's such a shame anyway yeah, yeah. that's temperature done so what else are we what else is important because we, we we got we, we got robin and laura both mentioned quite a few things there. yeah yeah well glasses they definitely glass is really key yes. isn't it yeah yeah so so, our, so yeah our thing well we have talked about this a little we bit we have before, we have already we? brought this up on on a previous episode but i think what we would say is you know find a glass that you really like you don't need lots of different types of glasses we tend to use one two i mean I mean, what do we do? We, no, we use probably up to two or three, four. Yeah. So we might have something that we use for champagne. We have a bigger glass for red wines, a slightly smaller one for white wines. Yeah, about about four that we really like. But really, you know, we probably have one that or two that we use all the time. Mm. So, and the good thing about that is if you've only got a limited number of glasses, if you break one, you're replacing the same thing. So you're not, you haven't got your set of six of these and set of six of those and set of eight of those. And then you break one, and you've got to replace a, a different glass each time. If you're just using pretty much one glass, mm. it's so much simpler, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So, you know, we can get really geeky and arcane with, with, with glasses. But I think when it comes to practicalities like washing up and breakages, yeah. you want to keep it relatively <laughs> we've simple. We've talked about we? We talked So we, about. Li- we like and Zalto, also, naming a few wines. Yeah. With, with glasses, we like Zalto. We like the Jancis Robinson mm-hmm. and Richard Brendan. Uh, Reed will do some great glasses, mm-hmm. obviously. Schottswiesel. Um, and yeah. I think the main thing is that you've got a lovely fine, well, one of the main things, a lovely fine rim so that where your mouth touches the glass is really fine, mm. delicate. And that in so, in, for whatever reason, I have no idea why. It just makes the wine feel mm. nicer as it as it um, as you drink it. Absolutely, whatever works for you. But the, one of the key rules, and I think this is a really good one, is, is is that rule of never wash up your glasses the same night when you've been drinking from them. 
It's a good rule. Never wash up. So the moving on, glasses, decanting, because Lauren mentioned that as well. No, decanting is yeah. kind of, um, we don't really do it that much, do we? If we're really we honest. Don't, really honest, no. No, no. no. We, don't, we don't really need to. We've so, got a whole load of decanters, we though. Do, which are lovely. <laughs> that have been given to us over we the have, years. And thank you to our many friends and family who've given us Given us decanters. decanters. But they are, they're nice to have, and um, they are fun for, for an occasion, a dinner party. And you can do it for not just reds, you can do it for whites, you could even do it for fizz, but we, we, we never We, never we do don't that. tend but to. I mean, it is you quite are. Ceremony. Yeah, you're risking losing some of the bubbles with, with totally, fizz. Totally. But I think also, you know, sometimes it's just fun. It doesn't matter what your bottle of wine is. It can be the cheapest, the most expensive. You know, you might with your friends want to say, what do you think it is? Do you mm. like it? You know, I, without showing them the bottle. And I think mm. that that's in itself is, is a bit of fun. It is. And and so the thing is, generally speaking, you know, for old people often think older reds should be decanted. Actually, to be honest, older reds, maybe not decanting so much just be very very careful when you're pouring them uh, not to get the sediments in in in, in well you know, the reason the but and the reason for not decanting older wines is because the minute they come into exposure with air they will oxidize very quickly mm. and so really you they're very fragile older wines so you know unless you you think there is sediment which is possible obviously certainly in a red wine and you've got to be so careful mm. so i would be wary of of decanting unless you feel you really need yeah, to yeah and maybe just keep it upright for a day or two before you serve it yeah so the sediment if there is sediment it sinks but no i mean younger wines fine. absolutely yeah. younger big reds those are often the wines we're serving yeah get those in a decanter give them some air yeah. get, bring them out themselves yeah. absolutely. young bordeaux sense, young sort of tighter um, and yeah. quite tannic but i think reds. generally speaking we wouldn't get too hung up about decanting no no, no it's okay. fun gadgets on the other hand we do get a bit not we don't get hung up by, but they, we do get slightly um, exercised by. I think sometimes yeah. there are just there are just too many gadgets. Well, out we're there. not we're not massive gadget people. Um, I think some one of the one of the most um, interesting and sort of most recent gadgets that that's, mm. that's taken off, if you like, is, is the Coravan. Um, which, yeah, which Laura mentioned. Which yeah. Laura mentioned. Uh, and I think it's good in certain specific scenarios. You know, it's good in uh, it's good in restaurants and bars. Um, you know, just, just some explain people how a Coravan works. Ooh, I don't know. You have to have a well. PhD in, in <laughs> physics, I think, don't you? But um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a tiny needle that goes, it's inserted through the cork into the wine. Um, you can then, there's a system, ingenious system, whereby you can draw wine out of that bottle and you're replacing it with, I think it's argon, isn't it? Um, but yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an inert gas inert that gas. fills that space without oxidising the wine and you can draw some out. And then when you take the needle out, the, the cork, the cork supposedly closes back up naturally. So it's an ingenious system. And it's a, it's what I love about it. Is, Not good with a screw cap, obviously. <laughs> you don't want to be doing it with a screw cap or you will break you the needle. You can try. You can. Well, I, although, hang on. I, they, I they, They've got new ones, haven't they, that work with screw caps? I think cap, there are probably Slightly out of date yeah, here, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, the idea is you can just take out a certain amount without, you know, having to have the whole bottle. Which mm. what I love about Coravan is it's great to see inventive, creative, brilliant minds applying themselves to wine, um, taking wine into the 21st century properly. Yeah. Um, and so, in, in that sense of innovation, I absolutely love it. Do we use it very often? No, but I mean, is that just because we tend to finish off the bottles or we tend to we drink? Do, we like, but we, we have, like we to drink the bottle. We do use it sometimes. You know, if you're no, thinking, do. I'd love a glass of, you know, we've got an, maybe a nice bottle of white burgundy, for example. I'd love a glass, but we're having something mm. that we want to drink red wine with. That is a very useful, it's a useful um, gadget to have. And, but I would suggest you don't then wait a year or two years to finish off the bottle. That's really important because we have had issues, haven't we, um, with... Bottles we have accessed, and we think that later on they're not as they're not they're quite not the same as they were, yeah. but but not all. So no, that's true. Yeah. And I think, it's an interesting yeah. one. Other gadgets, um, it is. but I think um, you know keeping wines in the fridge is is a, is a nice way to keep them fresh as well. So yeah, if you've got enough yeah, fridge yeah, space, yeah, you can yeah. do that. Um, and other th- stuff like vacuum van. But you know, to my mind, the best gadget that we've had are, are our drinking buddies. 
Oh, the drinking buddies. Now, sure we mentioned gadget, those are, are they? they're not really a gadget, no. but they're fun, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're the, the polar opposite to something yeah. as technical. If you're going to waste your money on gadgets, just buy drinking buddies <laughs> and all the other sort of fancy stuff. Google them, or, or, or they were on our last episode, weren't they? <laughs> they were. Uh, okay, so the other thing to, to think about is corked wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. when you're serving, you know, if you have any doubt when you taste a wine, if you're asked in a restaurant to taste the wine, any doubt, absolutely question it. Don't say, it's definitely corked. You don't need to do that unless you absolutely know. But just, you know, question with the waiter. It doesn't seem quite as nice as it might be. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, any decent restaurant, decent waiter will help you mm. and will be happy to replace that bottle. Equally, if you've got it at home, which is a more common scenario as things stand, yeah. you know, and it doesn't smell right, then fine. You should contact your, who you bought it from and say, look, I think this bottle is right. And usually the good ones will say, do you know what? Fine, that's, we'll replace it. Yeah. Um, it's becoming less and less common, I think. But if you want to know what a cork wine smells like, you know, it just smells like musty, damp, mouldy cellars. It smells yeah. wrong. And I think most of us can recognise that. Yeah. It's funny, I think often when I've walked past maybe a, a house that's being renovated, a sort of a building site of an old house, you often get that sort of damp, I don't, damp, damp smell, damp, mm. musty mm. smell, you know, when somebody's gone in underground. Yeah. And it's it's that kind of smell. But there are, there are, you know. There are other wine faults as well. There are other reasons why a wine can be wrong and why it's deserving of being replaced. So yeah. it's not just that. If so it basically, if it smells wrong, be just, confident you know, and question it. Exactly, I would say. Um, so you've talked about people, haven't we? People. Empathy, we've talked about the people the wine that you is the drink. Tool of, but I think um, the, the key to that is, you know, there are certain people that, that that you know that like certain types of wine. It's it's about buying a present, like buying a present mm, for somebody. Yeah, think, think about that, what yeah. they would like. You know, what level of wine. It's not always a case of the most expensive wine mm. will impress everybody. So I think it's really thinking: what does that person like? Uh, are we sitting out in the garden? Is it the middle of winter? What what is the appropriate wine for the occasion? And a, a little bit of thought, and it, it usually works brilliantly. It I does, think doing it does. that. So, and and to, to take two lessons from our interviewees: be like Laura, be calm, no stress. Let's not worry too much. And as Robin says, wine is there to be enjoyed. And I think that's that's yeah, that's all there is to it, really. So, so talking of enjoyment, I think it's time for time for a bit of wine A to Z. In our A to Z, we decode wine speak and hopefully provide some food for thought along the way. We've done A for alcohol, B for biodynamics, and now it's time for C for Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Chardonnay is many things to many people. To some people, it's the grape variety they most hate, way Mm. too big for its boots, given it's perhaps the most famous white wine grape variety in the world, not to mention too big for the taste buds with with what can be really rich, buttery, almost sickly flavours. For those people, it is A, B, C, anything but Chardonnay. Though it's interesting how often Chablis bypasses that blanket ban. Mm. For some people, Chardonnay is just a name, of course. According to the US parenting website, Baby Centre, the girl's name, Chardonnay, which it notes has connotations of popularity, saw its usage peak in the 1990s at 47 babies per million. Its frequency has declined since, to the point where Parents.com ranked it as the fourth worst baby name of 2019, saying only next level wine mums need consider this one. Uh, You you a next level wine mum? I'm working on it. 
What is the next level of white wine? Anyway, for some people, of course, Chardonnay is quite simply one of the best white wine grapes on the planet. And we're not just talking about Bridget Jones here. An early fan, according to legend, was the wife of the Empress Charlemagne, who ordered this white grape to be planted because she was fed up with the red wine stains in her husband's beard. Mm, No comment. And that's not the only reason to like it. Chardonnay is a chameleon capable of making brilliant wines of entirely different characters, depending on where and how it's grown, uh, the weather in any given year, and, and what the winemaker does with it. In cool areas like uh, Chablis, England or Tasmania, it can give crisp, fresh styles. Uh, in warmer regions, the fruit turns a bit more tropical. If a winemaker uses oak barrels, it can take on a fuller structure and flavour profile with sort of nutty, buttery flavours. And, and of course, it can make some of the very best sparkling wines on the planet too, you know, as one of the prime grapes in Champagne and, and other high quality sparklers around the world. Given this huge diversity of styles, it's quite hard to say you dislike all Chardonnay. It's more a question of finding one that suits you. That said, this propensity to shapeshift can make Chardonnay a tricky proposition for drinkers. For winemakers, the opposite is true. Chardonnay's popularity in the market and the fact it's relatively easy to grow has seen it become the second most widely planted white grape in the world, with 210,000 hectares in 2017, according to the OIV. That's 800,000 tennis courts or not far off an area the size of Luxembourg. Of course, such volume of production inevitably means there are plenty of duff Chardonnays out there. But at the top end, it can make wines to take your breath away. Burgundy is the place most classically associated with Chardonnay. The famous vineyards of Corton Charlemagne, Meursault, Montrachet owe their fame and reputation to Chardonnay, where this grape reaches some of its very finest expressions, and bottles can cost hundreds, if not thousands. Now, in France, wines are often named after the place rather than the grape, as we've just heard. Elsewhere in the world, the name Chardonnay can be a reliable point of reference for the grape's fans. And these days, almost all major wine producing countries feature world class Chardonnay in their lineup. Mm. And the standard of wines in the likes of Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Chile, Argentina, US, you know, now even places like Canada, England, you know, Germany and China, you know, make them well worth a taste. From a winemaker's perspective, Chardonnay is relatively easy to grow. It's a vigorous vine that copes with a lot, but it is a plant that buds early. And this can be a risk in cooler areas affected by climate change, because when early spring weather warms up, the vines bud. But if there's then an extreme weather event like frost, this can then severely impact yields and commercial viability. Now, Burgundy isn't the only area being affected by this phenomenon. It's had several major spring frost incidents over the past few years, but it is also happening elsewhere. Chardonnay does, though, tend to do best in cooler areas. Where it's too warm, the acidity drops out and the wines can be just sort of slightly flabby and sickly or overworked. It's actually thought to have originated in the Burgundy region and DNA analysis shows that Chardonnay is actually part of the Pinot family. So it's related quite closely to Pinot Noir and Pinot Blanc and that is impeccably ancient heritage. 
As for where we stand on this most contentious of wine issues, we're not ashamed to say we're total Chardonnay tarts. We love it. Mm. Partly because it's a grape that can give you so many different styles of wine, but all of them, at their best, utterly delicious and ever so slightly hedonistic. Mm. So if you do see us in a restaurant and want to send over a bottle, (laughs) then a gloriously nutty, dry, savoury, complex, golden Chassagne Montrachet to go with our fish pie will be just perfect. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We'll be on the table next door to Laura, don't worry. So uh, on that Chardonnay fueled bombshell, it's it's time to say goodbye, isn't it? Um, By way of summary, uh, I don't think we're serving wine all wrong. Uh, But it's useful to have a recap with some hopefully helpful tips and and pointers. Don't forget the 2020 rule. Uh, Never wash your nice wine glasses straight after you've used them. And always think about the people you're drinking with, uh, even if it's just yourself. And on that philosophical note, thanks to Laura Rees, Robin Hudson, and of course to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating and review. It all helps and we really appreciate it. Until next time, cheers.